We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. But if we can talk about climate change, what else might we be able to talk about? And here's how we do it. Rather than beginning by dumping scary facts on people, or by arguing, or by focusing on what we disagree on, we need to begin our conversations with something that we agree on. And if we don't know what we agree with somebody on, then ask them questions and learn about what matters to them until we figure out where we could possibly find a point of connection. Then connect the dots to how climate change affects what we both care about. That was Catherine Hayhoe, a climate scientist who was on a mission to save the planet. And she says that we can do that by having honest conversations with each other. I'm Milan Revere, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Catherine Hayhoe refuses to give in to despair about the climate crisis. She's chief scientist for the Nature Conservancy and a professor at Texas Tech. Her message about the need for communication seems to be getting across. She gave a TED Talk about climate change that has been viewed more than four million times. In September, she published her latest book. It's called Saving Us, a climate scientist's case for hope and healing in a divided world. And it's won praise from everyone, from Margaret Atwood to Scientific American. Listen and learn why Catherine Hayhoe is one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. I'm speaking today with Catherine Hayhoe, and we're so delighted to have this climate scientist with us. Catherine, uh, you've done amazing work in terms of the climate issue, the existential threat of our time. You're the chief scientist for the Nature Conservancy, and you teach at Texas Tech, so that's quite a bit. 
And you were recently at the Climate Summit in Glasgow. And as someone who knows the subject so well, so deeply, I wonder how you would sum up the state of the world in terms of the climate threat today. Well, from the perspective of the science, it is not too cheerful because we know, in fact, we've known since the 1800s that digging up and burning coal and gas and oil produces heat-trapping gases that are building up in the atmosphere, wrapping an extra blanket around the planet. We, as scientists, were so concerned about the potential impacts on humans, on our society, that scientists took the unprecedented step of formally warning a U.S. president about the dangers of climate change in 1965. And we have produced more than two-thirds of our cumulative carbon emissions since that warning occurred. So in terms of the science, we truly are in a dire situation where every action matters, every year matters, every ton of carbon matters. But what gave me hope in Glasgow was seeing all of the people who were there. For so long, climate change has been perceived as a niche issue, one that matters to climate scientists and environmentalists, but not to everybody else. But the reality is climate change is a human issue. And no matter what we love, who we love, or where we love, all of these are already being affected by climate change today. And so what gave me so much hope in Glasgow was seeing the tens of thousands of people there from every walk of life, from industry, from nonprofit, young, old, from academia, theologians, um, religious leaders, negotiators, policy experts, medical professionals. Everyone you can imagine was there because they understood that climate change is an everything issue and an everyone issue. And, you know, in order to want to fix it, we only have to be one thing. And that is quite literally just a human being living on planet Earth. Oh, that's so uh, well said. I think one of the reasons that climate is an uncomfortable discussion at times or the engagement hasn't been what it needed to have been and clearly needs to be ramped up is that when scientists talk, it seems remote from everybody else. And you just gave a TED Talk not too long ago that's already had 4 million viewers. And you said in the talk that the single best thing we can do to fight climate change is to talk about it. So explain what you mean by that, particularly since for many people, it seems like not an accessible topic or a controversial topic. So it's very interesting because when we look at the data, it turns out that 70% of people in the United States are already worried about climate change. Those numbers are greater in other countries, like my home country of Canada. It's about 75%, the same in the UK, greater in the EU. So most people are already worried. And in fact, here in the US, when you ask people who are mothers if they're worried, 83% of moms are worried about climate change. Young people, 84%. The biggest problem we have, the biggest gap we have, is not between the people who say it's real and the people who say it isn't, even though the people who say it isn't are certainly very loud. The biggest gap we have is between people who say it's real and people who are activated because it turns out only a fraction of us are actually actively engaged in doing something about this. How Mm -hmm. do we close that gap? The Mm -hmm. catalyst to action is when we use our voice to connect with others to say, what could we do as a family? What could we do as a school? What could we do as a business or a place of work? What could we do as a neighborhood or a city or a state? The catalyst to every single one of those actions is when we talk about why it matters and what we might be able to do together to help to fix it. So how do we talk persuasively 
uh, to those, even though their numbers may not be enormous, who still are very skeptical, uh, or to those who worry about jobs uh, in terms of fossil fuels and the kinds of worrisome emissions that are a big part of the problem. How do we talk to, well, those as well as everybody else in a way that is very compelling? I think there's really a simple formula to having positive, constructive conversations, even about something as contentious as climate change. You know, here in the U.S., over the last decade or more, climate change has been at the top of the list of the most politically polarized issues in the country. But if we can talk about climate change, what else might we be able to talk about? And here's how we do it. Rather than beginning by dumping scary facts on people or by arguing or by focusing on what we disagree on, we need to begin our conversations with something that we agree on. And if we don't know what we agree with somebody on, then ask them questions and learn about what matters to them, who, what, where they love, what their concerns are, what concerns inform their positions, until we figure out where we could possibly find a point of connection. Then connect the dots to how climate change affects what we both care about and how climate solutions are consistent with the values that we have. But how we begin that conversation is important. And I want to say one cautionary thing, which is often people immediately say, oh, well, that's great. I'm going to run off and I'm going to have a conversation with the most dismissive person I know, (laughs) my relative, my neighbor, my colleague, who's always saying it isn't real and it's just a hoax. Finally, I have the, the solution to show them how they're wrong. Well, here's the bad news. The bad news is, is that for people who are truly dismissive, who have built their identity on rejecting the reality of this problem, not because they truly have a problem with basic physics. If they did, they'd also reject the reality of stoves, bridges, and airplanes. But they reject it because they don't think there's any solutions that are compatible or consistent with their values. So for the 7% of people in the United States who are the very loud dismissives who bring this issue up all the time to poo-poo it, it is not possible to have a constructive conversation with them because they can't listen. Mm-hmm. But here's the good news. 93% of us are not dismissive. And in fact, people often say, well, why bother talking to the rest of the people if you know we already think the same way? You might think you think the same way, but how do you know if you don't talk about it? And even if you do think the same way, the chances are they're not activated because most people aren't. The vast majority of people who are worried about climate change are doing nothing about it because they don't know what to do. And that's where our conversations come in. Bond over shared values, connect the dots to how climate change affects us here and now in ways that are relevant to us, and then talk about what we could do together to help make a difference. Every action counts. That's certainly very well said. You mentioned values, and I know that you have brought the dimension of faith into your communications with others on this issue. How does religion tie into your message on climate change? Well, it ties right into step number one, which is beginning a conversation by bonding over shared values. So in my book, Saving Us, I encourage people to do a personal inventory. Who are you? Who do you love? What do you love? Where do you love? And think of those as ways that you can start to connect with other people. So my personal inventory is, first of all, I am a scientist, so I can definitely connect with people who really like science. And a lot of people are very curious about science, but I am also a mother. 
so I can talk to other parents about our kids and their future and the air they're breathing and their health and how climate change affects that. I love skiing and you need snow in order to ski. (laughs) So that might sound trivial, but that is important and close to my heart. (laughs) Um, I am Canadian, so I can talk to other Canadians about what's happening in our country. I live in Texas, which is the most vulnerable state in the U.S. to increasingly severe climate and weather disasters as climate change loads the weather dice against us. So I can definitely talk about that with other people here in Texas. And I am a Christian, so I can talk with other people who share my faith about how if we truly take our faith seriously, and this is true not just for Christianity, but for every major world religion that has concepts of stewardship or caring for nature or creation or other living things, and just as importantly, caring for the poorest and most vulnerable and most marginalized among us, our sisters and our brothers less fortunate than us, if we truly take our faith seriously, we would be out at the front of the line demanding climate action. So that's my inventory. And I would encourage everybody sort of do your inventory. Are you a gardener? Do you love beer or wine? Do you like beaches or traveling? Um, do you enjoy hiking or birding or kayaking? Um, do you, you know, are you concerned about national security or about a stable economy? Or are you a farmer or a rancher? There's every, oh my goodness, there's a million points of connection in our human life to how climate change affects us and to how climate solutions can truly benefit us. You know, you talked about the fact that lots of people are very, very worried, in fact, the great majority, about climate change. But the gap comes with what we're going to do about it as individuals. And I wonder, what are some of those things that our listeners, for example, could be doing to address climate change, but don't feel they have the competency or don't feel they're part of an organization where that can be easily done? Give us some simple ideas about what kinds of things individuals can do or families can do. I would love to do that. Uh, So this is actually what I started asking myself, because as a climate scientist, I study this issue, but I also want to make a difference. So I thought, well, what could I do? So the first thing I did was probably the most obvious thing for many people. I decided I'm going to use a carbon calculator And there's a really good one called the Cool Carbon Calculator from Berkeley to figure out what our family's personal carbon footprint is. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do everything I can to reduce it. In fact, every year I still take on two new habits that reduce my use of energy or fossil fuels or transition to clean energy. Habits that make a difference in my personal life and my family's life, like reducing food waste, getting rid of the extra freezer, changing the type of food we eat to eat less meat, especially red meat, um, hanging up the clothes to dry, getting a plug-in car, solar panels, uh, significantly reducing my travel. But here's the thing. As a scientist, I calculated that even if all of us who are worried about climate change did everything we could in our current economy, which is heavily skewed in favor of using fossil fuels, if we did everything we could to cut our personal emissions, that wouldn't even be 25% of the pie. So I figured there's got to be something more we can do. And I realized it isn't only about our footprint. It's also about our shadow. Our shadow is the way we interact with others. And when you look at how the world has changed in the past, how civil rights were enacted, how women got the vote, how did our society change? It wasn't because the president woke up one morning and decided, I really need to give those women the vote. (laughs) But rather, it was because many, many, many other people 
people who originally were, you know, of no particular fame or renown, they decided, no, the world really does need to be different. And they used their voice to advocate for change at every level. When we look at how change is happening with big corporations like Microsoft, it's because employees who work there use their voice to say, you know what, we could do better. When you look at cities like the city of Houston that have a climate action plan and they're meeting their Paris targets, they decide to change because there's many people in that city who are using their voices to say, we need climate action. When we look anywhere around the world, wherever we see amazing things happening and we start to look around the world, there are amazing things happening everywhere even right here in Texas where I live, the common denominator, the catalyst to that action is when people use their voice to say, here's why it matters to us here and now. Not not tons of science about Antarctica or polar bears, but look, look at Texas. We just had three 500-year flood events in three years. We need to do something about that. And then talked about what we can do. Like, for example, we already get almost a quarter of our electricity in Texas from clean energy. How could we make sure that we're getting some of that for our school or our place of work or our city? So there's so many things we can do, but it all begins with having that conversation. So again, that's why I did my TED Talk and that's why I wrote my book, Saving Us, because the number one question I get from people these days, almost every day, is what gives you hope? And the answer to that is when we act, hope is all around us. And the second question I get is how do you have a conversation like this with somebody? And that's what I wrote the book about. And My favorite thing is to hear from people who said, okay, I gave it a try and it actually surprised me. It went a lot better than I thought. I've talked to my mom about this already 10 times and it went awfully, but we finally had a breakthrough. I'm not going to say that, you know, we're getting solar panels tomorrow, but we were able to finally connect and I was able to listen to her concerns and she was a little bit more open to what I had to say. So it truly does make a difference when we have these conversations. Again, not dumping the science on people, but really focusing on having that conversation as a catalyst to talking about what we can do together. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. 
the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're providing a sense of movement, bringing lots of people together to demand this kind of attention to the problem, I think is something that is growing, uh, but has been lacking on this issue, unlike some other issues you mentioned. And I think to that end, people think, and there has to be big systemic changes in many ways, but they can affect bringing those changes. Is that not right? Oh, I completely agree. So people often argue, do we need individual action or do we need system-wide change? Mm -hmm. And my answer to that is yes. Because what is a system made up of other than people? Mm -hmm. And how do systems change other than when people engage in those systems? And how do we engage, again, by using our voice? And of course, sometimes using our voice is literally talking, but sometimes it's writing. Sometimes it's posting on social media. Sometimes it's just doing something where someone else can see us doing it. There is a myriad of ways to use our voice to engage in the system to catalyze change. Let's talk about women uh, in particular. You know, so many times women seem sidelined or marginalized in the climate change solutions camp, uh, and yet they are so important to the solution. Um, and I know particularly in places uh, that are the hardest hit in the developing world uh, that women need to be engaged uh, in the green economy. They can even be empowered economically uh, with access to the green economy. So clean cook stoves, for example, or as you mentioned, the installation of solar panels or conservation programs, electrical mini grids that they can manage. Why has it been so elusive? to recognize the role that women have to play in, in, in climate change uh, solutions. Well, you're completely right. And I'm so glad you brought this up because this is something that is obviously very near and dear to my own heart as a woman as well. Women are disproportionately affected by climate impacts, especially in low-income countries, as disaster strikes, as droughts get longer and stronger, um, risk of child marriage increases. Mm -hmm. um, women are, are left picking up the pieces as they can no longer feed their family. When um, climate change tips the balance in an already failing state over into refugee crises or exacerbates pre-existing crises that, that are already there, the first things to go are the public education system and the public health system. And all of a sudden, something as, as uh, natural as having a baby can become a life-threatening event if you lack just basic health services that we take for granted every day. So. Just as women are disproportionately affected, though, so too there are all kinds of amazing solutions that empower women, lift up women, benefit women, and, oh, they help with climate change, too. So education of women and girls, especially in low-income countries, empowering women to make their own decisions as shareholder farmers. Um, in my book, I tell the story of Solar Sister, which works with women in sub-Saharan Africa helping them to sell solar technology that can be used in places where they don't have access to a power grid, which enables children to do their lessons um, at night. Uh, it allows women to uh, 
to feed their families and to gain an income. There's so many solutions that address gender equity and address climate change too. Really, with climate solutions, we need to be doing all of those ones that have win-win-wins. Oh, and they also help with climate change as well. With, with these solutions, it's like, well, why aren't we doing them? There's so many good reasons today to invest in low-income communities right here in the U.S., to invest in low-income countries, to invest in people who work hard and who feed their family and who want to go to school. And by investing in their lives today, we can invest in climate change tomorrow by helping them become more resilient and by helping them grow towards a clean energy future. Well said. You know, you're so enthusiastic when you speak about this, so energized, so compelling. And I wonder, what is your personal story? How did you get into this? What was your child like, childhood like? Uh, did you think about becoming a climate scientist when you were young? No, I didn't. But I definitely thought about science. Uh, and my childhood absolutely influenced why and where I am today. So my dad was a science teacher. And my grandmother, his mother had a degree in science education. And she, in fact, named my father after the first female astrophysicist in Canada, Dr. Vibert Douglas. So the apple did not fall far from the tree on that one. <laughs> and in fact, um, growing up, I, I just grew up thinking that science was the coolest thing anybody could possibly study. Who doesn't want to know why the grass is green or why the sky is blue or why polar bears have black skin. So I was almost finished my undergraduate degree in astronomy and physics, yet again, when I needed an extra class to complete my breadth requirements. And I looked around and there was a new class on climate change over in the geography department. I thought, well, that looks interesting. Why not take it? So up until then, I had always thought of climate change as one of a group of environmental issues, uh, deforestation, biodiversity loss, air pollution, climate change, that were real and were concerning, but that environmentalists cared about and environmentalists worked on and the rest of us wished them well. That's sort of the way I thought about it. But when I took that class, I was completely shocked, first of all, to find out that climate change was much more urgent than I had imagined. Second of all, to find out that climate science was the exact same physics that I'd been learning in my physics and astronomy classes. I don't know what I thought it was, but I didn't think it was that. But then what really changed my life was when I found out that climate change is profoundly unfair. It disproportionately affects the poorest and the most marginalized people, whether they are living in a low-income neighborhood right here in Chicago or Houston or whether they're living in sub-Saharan Africa in some of the poorest areas in the world without running water or electricity or access to any of the resources we take for granted today. I grew up uh, both in Canada as well as in Colombia. We moved down there when I was nine years old. And so I grew up knowing what that type of poverty looks like. I know what it looks like to live in a place that doesn't have running water or electricity. And when the storms come, your home is just washed down the side of the mountain and you're lucky to survive. I know what it looks like when drought destroys your crops and there's no recourse, there's no resources to provide food for your family. And so when I realized that climate change was affecting those who are already suffering from everything at the top of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals list, which says very simply, you know, zero poverty or no poverty, zero hunger, access to clean water, access to basic health care, to education, to gender equity, to good jobs, to affordable energy. 
climate change puts every single one of those very basic goals at risk. And so I thought to myself, this is such an urgent issue and such an unfair issue. How can I not do everything I can to help fix this problem? And surely we'll fix it soon. And then I can go back to studying galaxies. <laughs> that was a very long time ago. <laughs> and you're going to be at this for a long time, needless to say. And we're fortunate that you are. The clock is running down as always, and we keep running out of time. But let me ask you in conclusion, you had mentioned the fact that people ask you what gives you hope. I know you've talked about rational hope. Can you explain both the term and then how you answer what gives you hope? I can. And let me start by saying often to people who have been so overloaded with fear, very rational fear. Mm -hmm. about how climate change is continuing to affect us and everything that it puts at risk. To many people these days, hope is a bad word. And when they say hope, when I say hope, they think I mean false hope. The idea that if we just, you know, indulge in some wishful thinking, it's not so bad. Someone will come along and fix it. We don't have to worry about it. That that's what I'm talking about. But that isn't. Real hope, I believe, begins not in positive circumstances, but in a dark place. Hope is the chance, however slim, of a better future. And how do we get to that better future? Not by burying our head in the sand like the metaphorical ostrich and hoping everything will be all right, but rather by striving with all of our might to do everything we can to get there, knowing that our success is not guaranteed, but it is possible. And knowing that it is our actions that affect whether we do or not. So that's what hope is. Hope is the idea that if we really try. Can we get a better world? And I truly believe that we can. I know some of the impacts of climate change are already here today. I study that as a scientist. I know that some of them are also inevitable because of all of the heat trapping gases that have built up in the atmosphere today. But I also know this, and this is again what I study. I know that our future is still in our hands. Our choices today will determine the future of civilization as we know it. So what gives me hope is when I look around and I recognize that climate action is not a giant boulder sitting at the bottom of an impossibly steep cliff with only a few hands on it. And if I add my hand, it will not budge an inch. That's often the way we think about climate action. And that gives us no hope at all. If I do anything, will it make a difference? We think, no. So why bother? But when we look around and we see all of the cities, all of the companies, all of the schools and seminaries and universities, the tribal nations, the nonprofit organizations, the cities and provinces and countries and states, when we look around and we see all the hands that are on that giant boulder, we see that that boulder is already at the top of the hill. It is already rolling down the hill in the right direction. It already has millions of hands on it. And when we add our hand to it, it goes a little bit faster. And when we use our voice to encourage others where we work, where we play, where we live, where we worship, where we study. When we use our voice to encourage others to join their hands to the boulder, it goes even faster. And that's what gives us hope is looking around at all of the other people who are pushing beside us, making a difference in the world, showing us that yes, action is possible. And in that action, we find hope. Well, Catherine Hayhoe, this has been a marvelous conversation, certainly illuminating, certainly filled with uh, good ideas and recommendations for each of us. And I hope that as a result of listening to you, uh, that our listeners will do their part 
uh, to accelerate climate action, which we desperately need to have happen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's so inspiring to hear a scientist say that there is something we can do about climate change. Here are three things I took from that conversation. First, as Catherine Hayhoe says, solving the climate crisis is all about communication, finding common ground with others, and then getting them to engage. Second, we need to remember that climate change is a women's issue. In the developing world especially, women are disproportionately affected by increasingly severe droughts and floods and other disasters. But when you educate and empower women, they can feed their families and help the environment. Finally, to save the planet, we need systemic change. And how does that happen? Catherine reminds us that major movements like women's suffrage came about because millions of individuals and organizations used their voices. They told anyone who would listen that the issue was important to them. You can learn more about Catherine Hayhoe's advice in her book, Saving Us, a climate scientist's case for hope and healing in a divided world. And tune in next week to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.